you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. As I've repeated just about every single week of this series, we've talked about how the early church was empowered by the Holy Spirit, given the gifts necessary to reach their community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. They had a passion to share the gospel frequently and with everyone and did just about everything together. They saw healing. They endured persecution. And throughout this series, I've asked you, I've challenged you to read through what we're going through in your own personal devotion time because there's a lot of things that happen in the book of Acts that we just don't have time to cover on a Sunday morning. And last week, I encouraged you to look through Acts 13, 14, and 15. It was a lot. Uh, If you did uh, take the time to read through those, you see that there was a lot that we didn't talk about uh, last week. But I'm going to give you a little bit of a break this week because you only have to do Acts chapter 16. So if you've been missing all of the book of Acts, then just read through, just start with us on 16 and then continue on from there. But up to this point, when, we've, when we're talking about Paul or Saul, and who is also called Paul, it's been Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas, they went on this first missionary journey. They had all of these adventures. They had all these things. But right before chapter 16, at the end of 15, Paul and Barnabas, they have this little disagreement. Well, it's not little. It was a big disagreement. The disagreement is over whether or not this guy named John, who's also called Mark, should go with them on their second missionary journey. The second missionary journey from Paul was to go and tell the churches what the Jerusalem council had decided, that they didn't have to get circumcised. They could just, uh, they would just have these few things that they needed to do to make sure that they were still walking like a Christian. But they were trying to figure out, they're arguing about, does John Mark come or does he not come? Barnabas said John Mark could, should come. He should be with us. And Paul is like, well, he deserted us. He, he left us on the first missionary journey, so he doesn't deserve to go. And that's about all that we know. But the disagreement was so strong between them that they split up and went separate directions. Barnabas would go with John Mark to wherever they would go, and then Paul would bring along Silas for the second missionary journey. Now, early in chapter 16, a familiar face comes in, and his name's Timothy. You probably know Timothy because Paul wrote two letters to Timothy. But Timothy comes at the beginning of chapter 16. There's a few things that happen after that. But we're going to be focusing on one section, one part of chapter 16. And that starts in verse 16. So if you have your Bible, Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 16. And I'm going to read 16 verses. I'm kidding. I I, I don't know how many verses. But we'll see where we go. Acts 16, 16, once we were going to a place of prayer when we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She had followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who keep telling you the way to be saved. She kept us up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that there was no hope of making money, uh, that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. 
they brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing out, throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs and all unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods after they had been severely flogged. They were thrown in prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. Once, at once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up. When he saw the prison doors open, he drew a sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for the lights, rushed in, and he fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and and to all the others in the house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them, washed their wounds, and then immediately he and all of his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his home and set a meal before him. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. If you would pray with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you just speak through me as you always do. And as you always know how, Lord, open up our hearts to receive your message today. Lord, I pray that as people leave, they don't remember what I said, for my words will always be imperfect. But Lord, let them remember your words, because your words are perfect for them in their moment and their season of their life. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity that you give me every single week to preach your word. It's a privilege and an honor, so Lord, may, me, may I glorify you. May all of our attention be on you in this moment in worship. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, how many of y'all have ever been to Gatlinburg before? All right, just show your hands. All right, so we got some people that's been to Gatlinburg. Growing up, uh, Jessica and I, we would go to Gatlinburg all the time. It was every single year we would take a trip to Gatlinburg. And this was with the other set of grandparents, not these grandparents. They took us to Florida. So, you know, we weren't spoiled at all as kids, uh, as you can imagine. But we, we would always go to Gatlinburg for, for years. We did this in a row. And while we would be in Gatlinburg, I... As you can imagine, if you know me well enough, I was not the kid that was like, go, let's go to the arcade, let's go do this, even though we did do that in Florida. Uh, I I wasn't the go-getter. I wasn't always the person that was like, let's go and do all these things. When we were in the mountains, when we were in Gatlinburg, we would always get a mountain view, and I would just want to sit and watch the mountain view. Not TV, just the mountain view. I just want to sit out there and just watch. And I think that's the moment that people started realizing that I was an 80-year-old man in a 16-year-old body at that point. But I, I just like to watch. Even as a kid, I, just, I, I, I was so amazed at the view that the mountainside had. And I remember thinking it, in my little kid mind, man, how awesome would it be if I got to wake up to this every single day? 
Have you ever been on vacation and thought that? Like, Al, it would be so awesome if I just lived here and every day I could wake up to the mountainside. Every day I could wake up, if, if you're Chloe, uh, every day I could just wake up and see the open ocean and just be able to walk out my back door onto the beach. Like, that, that's her fantasy. <laughs> Mine is probably more of the mountainside. I, I want to I see the mountains. I want to see the sunset and the sunrise every single day. And you've probably done that on vacation. Man, it'd be so great if we just lived here. But I think we all come to the conclusion, well, I'd probably get used to it, and then I'd get tired of it, and then I'd want to leave and go somewhere else, and then I would be vacationing somewhere else. You know why there's so many cars that come through here that are from Florida? Because they're going to vacation somewhere other than Florida, because they're tired of Florida. We all think it'd be great to live in Florida, some of us, but we all think it'd be great to live in Florida. It'd be great to live in Gatlinburg, but they're going other places to vacation because they want to get away from what they're used to. And so we would get used to it, the magical moment of seeing those views, of seeing those sights, of doing those things would eventually come to an end. And as I got older, I realized that more and more, and so I would enjoy our time on vacations because I knew that they would come to an end and then I'd be you know, slapped with reality whenever I came back home. Now, it was similar to one of these family trips that... Myself, my sister, and both my parents, it would just be us four. We would take it every single year. Every single year, we would take one big trip to the summit and the General Baptist Summit. So this was our vacation as pastor's kids. Just a little little info. If you want to be a pastor's kid, this is your vacation. You get to go to church conferences for three days and then spend the night in a hotel for two days extra. Um, that was our vacation as a family growing up. Wasn't the only thing that we did, but that became our only vacation was going to the summit. We would go to a hotel. We'd take the three-day week of the, the General Baptist Summit, and then we'd take two extra days at the end to go and do some fun things if there was anything fun to do in whatever city we were at. But it was always cool. And for a while, the GB Summit would come around at the same time that I felt farthest from God. For, for years, I had this, I, I would be just completely broken down, not hearing the voice of God, wondering where God is in my life, struggling with school, struggling with dealing with friends that weren't faithful to me, struggling with all of these things. And then the summit would come around and all summer I would look forward to the other vacations, but I would look so forward because that's where I encountered God was at the summit. For those three days, as short as they were, it, it would fill me up and it would, it would make me feel motivated that I could actually go and do this. I could go through another year of school. I could go through another year of dealing with all that I was dealing with. And the GB summit, no pun intended, became my mountaintop. It became my mountainside view when it came to the spiritual side of things. Everything that I did would just completely drain me throughout the year. But man, when I would get to the summit, I would be filled up and I'd be ready to go. And I remember this one summit particularly. I don't remember what year it was. I just remember the feeling of being so excited. Everything was just seemed to be going wrong in my life. You know, I, as a kid, you, you think all of these problems really matter. But at that point, I really thought that they mattered. And 
I, I was struggling and I was like, man, I just can't wait to get to the summit. And when I went to the summit, I felt nothing. In fact, after the summit was over, I felt more empty than I did when I was going in. And it's not because the worship team was bad. They were good. But in my mind, it was kind of bland. It didn't really speak to me. The music wasn't speaking to me. It wasn't moving in my heart like it normally did. The worship band was, they're, they're great. They did a great job. I, I heard so many people say, wow, this, the worship was really good. And I was like, I don't feel anything. The preaching was okay, and it's not because of the preachers, because they were all excellent. People got messages from them, and they, they were, ran to their church empowered, but I was feeling even more empty. See, the problem was me. The problem was my perspective. It wasn't the worship team. It wasn't the preaching. It was just me. Because in my immaturity as a Christian, I thought God was only found on the mountaintops. At these very highs, at, at where these ultra-spiritual events would happen in my life, that's where God was. I thought God was only found at the mountaintops but not in the valleys. And it's because I would struggle to find him in the valleys like we all do. Now, if you would have talked to me all those years ago, during that summit even, I would have told you, well, you know, God's in the mountains and he's in the valleys. I, I would have quoted Psalm 23 and say, you know, it, it may not feel like he's there in the darkest valley, but, but God is leading you through it. And he's there to comfort you with his rod and his staff to, to lead you and to per, to protect you and to comfort you so he's still there. You just might have some trouble seeing it. And I truly believe that for other people. I didn't believe it for myself. I always felt abandoned by God unless I was going to this event with all of this worship and all these people and all these Christians worshiping together. And that might be you sitting here today. Some of you, you might be in a valley right now and you're struggling to find where God is, you're struggling with who God is, you're struggling with all of it, and you're like, man, I just, I just wish church was like Asbury, like where, where we could just go to the Asbury revival, and I saw so many people flooding Asbury for good reason. There's nothing wrong with going, but there's so many people that were going because that's their mountaintop. But back at home, just like when we get off a of vacation, you get slapped with reality, and you forget about who God is. You forget that he's still there. There are churches today that chase after mountaintops. There's churches today that chase or that are stuck in valleys. And I don't want us to become those churches. I don't want you to become those people. We can't stay on the mountaintop if we keep moving. Have you ever thought about that? Like if you're on a mountaintop and you keep moving, you're eventually going to have to go back down to a valley. If you're in a valley, you'll eventually encounter another mountain to climb. As long as you keep moving, you're going to encounter some mountaintops. You're going to encounter some valleys. And often the reality is, is that the valleys last longer than the mountaintops. but we must always look forward to the next thing because that's what the early church did. They didn't tremble when they got knocked off a mountainside. 
They weren't afraid with the towering mountain that they had to climb or the, the unknown and the darkness of the valley. They continued to have this undeniable, unshaken trust and faith in Christ, and so should we. And that's what I see in Paul and Silas when it comes to the story when they're in prison. Paul and Silas, they're just going to go pray like they always did. And this girl, this woman uh, who was a slave, had this spirit inside of her that allowed her to tell fortunes. That she basically was what we would call a fortune teller, telling, predicting people's truths. Not like fortune cookies. This was realistic. They, she could actually predict the future. And she's following Paul and Silas, and Paul is getting annoyed, not with the woman, but with the spirit. And he looks over to her, and he says, in the name of Jesus Christ, I cast you out. Right? Go away from her. In this moment, we really don't talk about it a whole lot. When we're looking at this, we don't really think about it. That woman was freed from the bondage that she had. And Paul made that possible for her. But the world around her saw her as useless now. And they didn't go to attack her because they know that she wasn't the one that did it. Who did they go and attack? Paul and Silas. Brought him before the authorities. Beat, him, beat them both. Broke them down. Flogged them severely. Likely this flogging was the 40 lashes minus one. And this 40 lashes minus one, if you're not familiar with Roman floggings, is they would take a whip. Sometimes they would have nails in them. And they would, they would whip you 39 times because they believed that if they hit you 40 times that you would physically die. So they would bring you to the brink of death as a punishment. They did this to, to Paul and Silas. And after they did that, they threw them in prison. The jailer, the prison guard has to go in. He, he cuffs their ankles to make sure that they can't leave. And he shuts the door and he's there to guard them. Now, if you think about yourself in that situation, how many of you would have responded? You don't, don't answer. <laughs> How many of you would have actually responded the way that Paul and Silas did, where in verse 25, they're praying and singing hymns to God? They were unjustly thrown in prison. Another Roman uh, cultural type of thing, uh, a Roman government thing that you'll actually find later in the uh, book of later in the chapter uh, is if you're a Roman citizen, you're entitled to a trial before you're ever punished. Now, if you're guilty of it, then you can be flogged. Then you can be thrown in prison. It's just whatever it is. But if you're a Roman citizen, you're entitled to a trial first. It's the whole, you're innocent until proven guilty. But just if you're a Roman citizen, if you're not a Roman citizen, and you commit a so-called crime in Rome, you didn't have to go to trial. They didn't make you go to trial. You weren't entitled to a trial. So they were treating Paul and Silas, who were Roman citizens, by the way, as if they weren't Roman citizens. So it was unjust what the Romans did to Paul and Silas. They were beaten, they were thrown in prison, and then they started worshiping God in prison. In their valley... And their dark valley that they were facing, they still worshiped God. They still praised God for who he is 
and what he had done in their life. And if you really want to find the presence of God in your valley, you have to continue to worship him. Yes, acknowledge the situation. It's not like worship is meant to escape you from reality. Because if it's an escape from reality, we'd all be escaping reality. We'd all be trying to worship. What worship does is actually brings you closer to the reality of God is still in control. God is still there. So worship doesn't distance you from reality. It gives you the comfort that God is still here for you, and that's the reality of your situation. He's still comforting you. He's still guiding you. He's still right beside you. You just might not be able to feel him or see him. Once this happens, once they're praising God, a large earthquake comes, shakes the foundations of the prison. All the gates open and the chains come loose. Paul and Silas have an opportunity to run away. Obviously, they, they looked, in their culture, they looked at catastrophic events as an act of God. And so for them to have an earthquake come on that place, it was like their version of God is saying, it's time for you to go. So this earthquake comes, it opens up all the doors, all the shackles that are on all of the prisoners' feet are, are gone. They're loosened, they can go and run. But what does Paul and Silas do? They stay. They sit there. We don't know how long they sat there, but they waited for the prison guard to wake up. I can tell you, and I'll just throw myself under the bus, if, there was an, if I was sitting in prison and an earthquake came and everything just opened up, I'd be out of there. And in your life, if something hard really comes to your life and it, it just seems like the world is pressing on you and for a moment it doesn't press on you and you have this clear sign from God, you need to go, it's time for you to go. Are you going to wait for the world to just come back on you or are you going to leave, right? We're all going to leave. But Paul and Silas, they had a different perspective on life. They had a different perspective of the God. God gave them the opportunity to leave, but they stayed. Why? Because the prison guard needed Christ too. You see, when they encountered their valley, their lowest of low, the darkest, one of the darkest moments in their life, and this would continue to happen to them over and over, when they encountered that, when they didn't know what was going to happen to them next, right? We know what happens, but they didn't know. When they encountered that, they knew that all of the suffering, all of the pain, all of the injustice that they experienced, God allowed it for a reason. God didn't cause it. He allowed it. And I think sometimes we're scared to say that because we're like, well, if God's so loving, then why would he throw, why would he allow Paul and Silas to be beaten and broken? Why would he allow them to be thrown into prison when all that they're doing was doing exactly what God called them to do, which was preach the gospel? Why would he do those things? I think sometimes um, it's a learning process to trust him. See, Gabe, can you come up here? I'm going to use you for an illustration. I'm not going to hurt you. Gavin, sorry, I said Gabe. Gavin. 
I'm used to Gabe being in here and he's up there. All right, I need you to stay right here. Gabe, you can come down here too if you want, but you don't have to. All right, face this way. Do you trust me? Okay, fall back. Oftentimes, keep falling. Oftentimes, this is us. We're facing our valleys. And God keeps pushing us up. But then sometimes, God just lets us be here for a little bit. Sometimes he gently lowers us. You still trust me? And then he slowly lifts us back up. Now, stay standing, because I'm not going to catch you this time. (laughs) I'm still watching you. Oftentimes, when we're in this position, and we're falling back, and we're down, we're close to the ground, what's your instant response? I need to get back up, right? And God is saying, no, don't get back up. Let me pick you back up. Trust the process of who I am. Trust me enough that if I allow you to be lowered down, fall back again. If I allow you to be lowered down, I'm going to pick you right back up. You might stay there for a little bit, but you'll always be picking back up. Thank you. You can go have a seat. Paul knew this. And as he was being lowered, not dropped, Not falling, lowered by God, humbled by God. Paul said, there's a reason for this. And he might have looked at Silas and said, no, we we need to wait just a minute. Because God didn't do all of this just to let us go. There's a reason. And that reason was the guard. You see, the guard, the Roman guards... If they allowed a prisoner to escape, they would be tortured to death. It wasn't like just a swift killing. They would literally be tortured until they died. When the gates opened and that guard woke up, he thought he was going to die and he had a choice. He was like, either I get tortured to death for who knows how long or I kill myself swiftly because either way I'm going to die. And the guard took out his sword. And Paul said, wait, we're all still in here. Now, when we look at the, at the guard's response, we see him. He's like, he comes in trembling. He asks for the light, which it doesn't mean the light switch to turn on. He, he means a torch. Comes in with the torch and he's like, what can I do to be saved? I think what he's actually asking is what can I do to where you don't escape and I still live? And Paul and Silas, they tell him about Jesus. And in that moment, he accepted Jesus into his life, right? As we would put it today. But then he goes further. He cleans up his wounds. He takes him to his home, right? There's some significance in this. He takes him to his home. And at his home, they tell the whole household. The whole household gets saved. They have a meal together. He takes care of them. But a little bit farther down, you'll see that the magistrates called for the jailer and said, you can release them now. 
They didn't go to the jailer's house because they were thought to still be in prison. So not only did Saul or did Paul and Silas leave to go to this person's home, they willingly went back into the cell. They willingly put the shackles back on their feet. They willingly allowed the door to be closed and to be locked up. For all they knew, the Roman officials were going to say, no, we've decided to execute them. For all they knew, the jailer was going to turn their back on them. But they trusted that God would lift them back up. So they they were released. Sometimes you find yourself in a valley because God is leading you through it. He hasn't abandoned you. He hasn't left you. He's there. And the goal is not to get back up on your own. The goal is to trust in God's timing of when he's going to lead you back up. Oftentimes when we're in the valley, we panic. We, we shake. We tremble. We don't know if, if God has the strength to keep us up. We don't know if we have the strength to continue to go and to, to continue to, to be lowered down. And so we constantly try to get back up. And God just wants us to trust him because we're strengthened by the challenges that we face. We develop a heart for people that we otherwise would have never met if we never got into the valley. We find a new perspective of God's love, not only for our life, but for other people's lives. But be warned, the enemy will always try to keep you still. If you remember towards the beginning, as long as you're moving, you're going to be facing mountains and you're going to be facing some valleys. But if you're standing still, that means you're stuck. And that's exactly what the enemy wants. So what that also means is that Satan will try to keep you on the mountaintops and make you afraid of going to the valleys. Now, why is that dangerous? Because the mountaintops is where God is seen clearest. Because you'll get used to the view. You'll think that you made it to the mountain by yourself. You'll start to forget the things of the past. You'll start focusing on what is right now, and you'll never move towards the future. And you'll be stuck right there on the mountaintop, thinking that you have it all made, becoming so full of yourself that you don't trust in God anymore. It doesn't take a lot to trust God on the mountaintops. It takes a lot of trust to trust him in the valleys. When it's all about you, you don't rely on God. When you think about moving forward, when you, when you think and you're on a mountaintop and you're like, okay, I, I really need to move forward. Like, I, this is not sustainable. I'm not trusting in God anymore. I'm relying on my own strength, on my own power. I need to start moving forward. What does the enemy do? Well, do you remember what happened the last time that you moved forward? All of these bad things happened to you. Right? You remember the valley that you just made it through? You don't want to go through all that again. Just stay here. It's fine. You don't have to rely on God. It's fine. He got you here. He wanted you here. It's okay. Plus, if you look over, you can't see anything. It's just complete darkness down there. You don't know what you're going to go through. It's probably going to be worse than this one, so you might as well just stay up here. If you're in a valley... He'll convince you 
that you're not good enough to climb the mountain. He'll convince you that you're not strong enough, you're not good enough, you're not capable enough, you're not skilled enough to go through whatever you're going through. All the past pains, past regrets, past struggles. It's like, you remember how you struggled through all of that? Here we are. You're never going to make it to a mountaintop again. God's abandoned you. And the enemy will try, or he will try so hard to convince you to get used to the dark so that you never see the light of Christ again. And many people are stuck on the mountaintop. They seem extra spiritual. Everything seems to be going all of their way. And then there's people that are stuck in the valley. Nothing's ever going their way. And they've just leaned into it. This is my life now. My life is to struggle. And they look at people on the mountaintops and they're like, man, I wish I could have that, but I'm not good enough. The people on the mountaintops look down at the people in the valleys and just say, well, if you just climb, you'd be up here. And then we've created a division between us. When I was preparing for the sermon, I, I didn't get a picture to put on the screen, but I looked up Mount Everest and I looked up pictures at the peak of Mount Everest. And it was amazing. It was beautiful. I can't imagine the feeling of being there in person and experiencing that. But all you could see was, was the sun. A few mountain peaks along the way, and it was clouds. And it was such a, a beautiful picture. Uh, if you look up on Google, you'll find them. There's, there's such beautiful images. And I couldn't help but look at that and say, Wow, isn't that what heaven will look like? Where it's just the sun, we're walking on clouds, and that's as close to heaven as you can get. But then I thought about it for a minute. I was like, wait a second. You can't see anything lower because you're above the clouds. That's what makes the valley so unknown. You don't know what's down there. You can't see what's down there. But as you travel through the, or through the clouds, when you go through all of them, you look up and you can't see the peak anymore. When you look up, all you see are clouds. You can't even see the sun. You can't feel its warmth anymore. But you know what's amazing? Is that not one of us would deny that the sun is still there. Yet when it comes to our spiritual walk, we look up at the clouds that God has over us. And we're saying, Where's he at? Can't feel his warmth. I, I can't see him. Maybe he's just abandoned me. Maybe he's just gone. Maybe I sinned too much. Maybe I, I fell too many times. And God is there in the midst of the valley to say, no, the sun is still there. You may not be able to see him, you may not be able to feel him, but you can always have comfort in knowing that he is there. So if you're going through a valley right now, if you're struggling with something, I want you to know that God is there for you. He never left you. He'll never forsake you. He is always there at your right side. And you can have confidence by the word of God that that's true. 
Here's one more thing. I know I'm going a little bit longer than what I normally do today, but I have one more thing for you. And it's something that all of us Christians were called to do. It's happened throughout the book of Acts. I've not really brought a whole lot of light to it, but you've heard it throughout your Christian walk, I'm sure. You got you to gotta walk out the gospel. You got to be the light in the midst of darkness. Paul and Silas do this, does this exact same thing. They demonstrated the gospel that they were saved from, that they were saved by. They demonstrated that through this. Watch. Paul and Silas were unjustly put into prison, beaten, flogged, thrown away, just like Jesus. Jesus had no business to be flogged. He had no business to be on the cross but he willingly gave himself up. He was willingly flogged. He was willingly put on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. But that's not it. Whenever Paul and Silas were in the prison, in the prison cell, an earthquake came. And when the earthquake shook the foundations, the prison doors opened up, the shackles released, at the same time, in Jesus' time, when Jesus was still here, when he said the last words, it is finished, what happened? An earthquake came. It tore the veil. And also in that same moment, if you read very closely, and I think it's in the book of Luke, but it it's only appears in one of the Gospels, people raised from the dead physically came out of the grave. This is symbolism of what, was, what will eventually come when Jesus comes back. All of us will be resurrected into something new. We'll, have, we'll be given a new body. We'll be given a new earth, new heaven, a new Jerusalem. And as people were coming out of the grave, Paul and Silas were demonstrating that yes, whenever we're praising God and whenever God says so, all of the, the shackles, all of the things that have been holding us back, the grave itself will be opened and we can walk into a new life. But there's one person who stays back and that's Christ. He says, I, I know that I could open up all the graves and everyone would be running out, but someone has to make sure that everyone's saved. Someone has to make sure that there's an opportunity for everyone to be saved. But Paul and Silas, they stayed back in the cell. They willingly got back into the cell, just like Jesus willingly took the punishment for us. Paul and Silas in this moment, they demonstrated the gospel and they told the gospel. There's an early church leader that said it this way. He said, preach the gospel and speak words if you need to. In other words, demonstrate the gospel in your daily life. But don't just speak when it's necessary. Speak when you're called. Sometimes people need to hear it. Other times people need to see it. And if you're telling them one thing and you're doing something else, they're not going to believe you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time. Lord, as we prepare to worship with one more song, I pray that...
people know that this altar is open if, if they feel the draw to come closer to you. But Lord, we also believe here that you can meet us where we are. It's like we don't have to travel to Asbury. You don't have to travel up to the altar. That we can meet you where we are because you meet us where we are. You're here with us today. I can feel your presence among this place. Lord, I pray that people continue to feel your presence as they continue to worship and as we leave. But Lord, I just pray in your son's precious and holy name that we demonstrate the gospel in our daily actions that while some of us are going through valleys right now, that we continue to trust in you. We might not see you, we may not feel you, but we always know that you are here. It's in Jesus' name we pray.